Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Today's episode of SFF Yeah is sponsored by BookRite's Read Harder Challenge. The Read Harder Challenge is back. Now in its eighth year, Book Riot's annual Read Harder Challenge consists of 24 tasks designed to help you shake up your reading routine and expand your worldview through books as you explore genres, topics, and formats that you might not otherwise reach for. So come read a queer retelling of a classic, a book by a disabled author, a romance with a protagonist over 40, or an anthology featuring diverse voices. Need suggestions? No problem. Recommendations for each task will be delivered straight to your inbox. Sign up for the 2022 Read Harder Challenge at bookriot.com slash readharder2022. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 119, and we're recording on December 10th. I'm Sharifa Williams, and I'm here with Jen Northington, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we're talking about our year-end favorites. And this is our last recording, I think, our last full recording of the year. Yeah, it sure is. Also, I feel like (laughs) the burning need to clarify that we mean favorites from books that got published towards the end of the year, as opposed to like a full on like we're not doing our 2021 favorites because that was basically like all the stuff we recommended for gifting was our favorites. Exactly. We did run into that. Uh, we did not want to repeat the same right. titles over again and bore you all. So, so here like, we are. Just consider that to be the same as like our 2021 best of our gifting episode. And this is like books that came out late in the year that are also our favorites. So which yeah. was always I like I always feel bad when I'm doing those best of because there's like here, for example, two great books that I read that came out in the last three months that I hadn't already read. And so they didn't make it onto my previous best of radar. So poor. I feel like I I do feel a little bit bad for books that get published late in the year in that regard. I was ex- I was going to say exactly the same thing. Uh, and sometimes I just sort of my reading habits do drop yeah. off a little at the end of yes. the year because I'm just like decompressing. I'm mm-hmm. tired and thinking about the next year's books. Yeah. And I one of my books is from was published toward the end of September, actually. So I reached back a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was so glad to have the opportunity to read that one. And then one that was, I think, just published this this week that we're recording. So I had the same feeling. I was really glad that this is where we landed with talking about our year-end favorites and yeah. being able to catch up on some stuff. Yeah, yeah. It is it's a nice opportunity to acknowledge those books that like just for whatever reasons we didn't get to already. So which I've also Indeed. been doing, I confess, in our backlist episodes. Like every I feel like every backlist for the past few times I'm just like, so I'm cheating again. These are from this year. I just really <laughs> want to talk about them and haven't had the chance yet. So Look, we we do whatever we can to highlight the books that would otherwise fall under the radar. Yes. Oh, which side note, Trifa, I read Redemptor by Jordan Ifuego, right? Which is the follow-up to Book Club. My library hold came in. I devoured it. It is even better than the first one. Oh, wow. Which is, yeah, like that's a bold claim I'm making here, but I stand by it. It is incredible. So if you read along with us for the first book, like you must get your hands on book two as soon as you can. I know what I'm going to do with my extra Libro yes! credit. I'm going to get that audiobook. Do it. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, let's see. We should move ourselves along, though. Uh, So I will talk about a sponsor, and then we'll do some news. And our sponsor is Sips By, because is there anything better than curling up with a new book and a hot cup of tea? The answer is almost nothing. Uh, And Sips By (laughs) makes discovering tea fun, personalized, and affordable. The Sips By box is the only multi-brand personalized tea subscription box. Each month, Sips By matches you with delicious teas from over 150 global tea brands, big and small, based on your unique preferences. And gift cards and subscriptions are available at www.sipsby, that's S-I-P-S-B-Y, dot com. And I, I like, I love this. They, they gave us a free trial and I mm. love it. I got to fill out the survey and like be really clear, like, do not send me green tea. I'm allergic. Yeah. Like, don't do it. Um, and also, oh though, like, I'm not so interested in fruit po- profiles. I prefer these other kinds of things. Like, you can get really granular with it. And I have since bought full packages of some of the teas that they sent me like I'm currently obsessed with this chocolate peppermint rooibos oh my gosh it's amazing so good so yes I have discovered some great teas through them Uh, so you can follow sips by that's s-i-p-s-b-y on instagram for weekly giveaways and more and for podcast listeners only use the code s-f-f for 50% off your first sips by box at www.sipsby.com I love Sips by Two, so yeah, it's good I, stuff. I'm really excited they were sponsoring us. Yes. Well, I'm going to kick us off with a news story, and I'm going to start with this interview that I just read this morning by uh, of Charlie Jane Anders. So this was published at Autostraddle, and Abeni Jones interviewed Charlie Jane Anders. So this was uh, an interview that was centered around Anders' new collection, Even Greater Mistakes, which sounds really exciting. And I wanted to talk about this because the interview and some of what Charlie Jane Anders talked about are things that I've been thinking a lot about this year, particularly. And Charlie Jane Anders talks about specifically uh trans fiction and writing about trans characters and what that means and what types of stories are allowed to be told. And I've been hearing these conversations happen in publishing and around uh, authors, particularly marginalized authors, a lot this year. Mm. Because there's been a lot of strife Mm -hmm. and a lot of trauma and stress in this world And we've all been really sort of hyper-focused on the struggles these past couple of years, especially as we're all stuck indoors and as people are kind of re-upping their education around uh, marginalized people and starting their education Mm. and being reminded of history and everything that's happened. So Charlie J. Anders uh, was asked in this interview about what it means to write trans characters and about feeling the pressure to write trans characters and focus on those characters because Charlie J. Anders is trans And she talked about that and really touched on some things I found it, you know, difficult to articulate as beautifully and, Mm. you know, clearly as she did here, where she talks about how representation basically is important and how she is, she says she had a fire lit under her in the last five or six years as a trans person with a lot of visibility to present trans people who aren't solely defined by transness. And that's sort of the conversation that I've seen pop up uh, from queer and trans and black and brown authors who are trying to write these characters and not just talk about their struggles and not just talk about how, like, make the story center on um, the fact that 
they are oppressed and they are dealing with a world that makes them often feel unwelcome. And Hmm. I guess I've been thinking about this because I've been reaching for stories more and more that that sort of illustrate a world that is more hopeful, which is another thing Mm. Charlie Jane Andrews talks about later in the piece and how science fiction and fantasy, while it still talks about like apocalyptic situations and some things that feel very... Um, a lot more realistic than perhaps they used to in our minds. Uh, Climate change, obviously driving a lot of these science Mm -hmm. fictional visions of the world and about how while we still do talk about that in science fiction, we're still reading about that stuff, there's been more of a surge in hopeful content. And I think there's a big push for people especially who are dealing with a lot of um, oppression and systemic injustice are feeling an urge to write stories about themselves that don't feel so bleak, I mm. guess. Um, and I just thought it was really interesting and and that Charlie Jane Andrews really does a good job of talking about these problems specifically around trans people, but I think it has, you know, broader implications that really spoke to me. So I just wanted to shout out this interview, and uh, I just hope that everybody takes a a minute. It's a pretty short interview um, just to read it and to get something out of it potentially. I thought it was great. Yeah, I completely agree. There's this great section where Anders talks about what you can do in speculative fiction is wake people up and make them look at the stuff that they don't want to look at and then also offer hope and way forward and, you know, comfort. And like, I think that's exactly like you said, it's hard to articulate. Like we need all of those things. Like we need the stories that are like, look at this thing, like this thing that you don't want to look at that's going on around us. Like, look at it. Uh, But also then, (laughs) then what? Like, then can we make a cup of tea and like be friends? You know what I mean? Or like find find our family, (laughs) like find the good stuff. Like we need all of that. We need all of it. So yeah. Yeah. It's a really great interview and, and super worth Super worth reading. Um, let's see. Here's an announcement that I was sort of surprised myself by how excited I was about it. Um, <laughs> so this is from Tor.com. Molly Templeton reporting that Amanda Stenberg is joining a new Star Wars series called The Acolyte. And I didn't even know that this was a thing that's happening. I've kind of been like tuning out all of that. Like Star Wars has like a billion things. I mean, there's so many. There's like cartoons and there's TV shows and spinoffs and movies. And like, I can, I, I'm not even trying to keep up with it. Like, I just am not, I'm not watching any of them right now. Like, I'm just yes. like, nope, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in there right now. Um, But I hadn't heard about this one. The, it's called The Acolyte. And while it's still very much in development, it is coming from Russian Doll co-creator and showrunner Leslie Headland, who I've, I've heard great things about Russian Doll. I haven't watched it yet myself. Um, but it's apparently about uh, like low-level Sith recruits who have just begun their training. And it's it's like a pre-pre-prequel, like set before The Phantom Menace. And I didn't know that like watching Amanda Stenberg be like a Sith recruit was the thing I wanted until <laughs> until I suddenly was like, oh, I do want that. I absolutely want that. So I'm really curious about this series, and I am going to be keeping an eye out for future developments because that that sounds cool to me. I did watch Russian Doll, and it is so, so good. So I was really excited when I saw that a co-creator of that series was working on this and working with Amanda Stenberg, who is exceptional and is part of, you know, the fabric of SFF pop culture. Mm -hmm. So I am... 
absolutely excited about this. And it did refresh my interest in Star Wars because I feel tons of fatigue around that franchise. But (laughs) I will tune. I am 100% certain I will tune into this one and watch The Acolyte. This is great news. Yeah. So, like, who knows how long it'll be till we get it. But we'll we'll keep you posted. (laughs) Yeah, we will. Well, I want to talk about this. You actually found this Mm. uh, piece about the year in books from Penguin Random House where they just collected some of the trends, which are all fascinating, of publishing from 2021. And I think it's always interesting in the same way, I guess, uh, as was mentioned in this uh, PRH sort of marketing piece about how uh, this collection came about. Like, you know, we have the Spotify rap that everybody mm-hmm. talks about and everybody's excited to share. I thought that that was a really great way to say why this was so exciting. It's really interesting every year to see how people's reading experiences have shifted, especially considering what a strange time we're living in right now. Not to bring that up again, <laughs> but... One of the one of the points that was brought up, one of the trends they saw was this big, big surge in SFF reading. I believe they said it was what 50 percent. It went up fifty percent in twenty twenty one, which I know I am constantly. Of course, I am completely entrenched in the world of SFF, and I know a lot of people who read you know, speculative fiction and science fiction and fantasy, but it's wild to me that reading of SFF went up by that much. Mm. And they go into it a little here in the more extensive piece on the year in books, and they talk about possibly why we are reading more SFF, and maybe it's because we're all looking for a way to escape <laughs> and a way to travel in a time when travel is a little bit fraught and not all of us are feeling like we want to get on a plane and go somewhere and experience something new and totally unfamiliar. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps I think that the quote, it looks like the quote they got about that specifically was from Namina Forna, who wrote The Gilded Ones, which was published this year. And looks like an amazing book, by the way, that I did not get to catch up on. But talking about, uh, Namina talks about, like, why this might be and why it's totally understandable that people might want to get into their escape pod and go somewhere else in their head when they can't, like, take themselves physically somewhere else. I just thought this was super interesting. Like, just like, it's a great thing to see that people are reading more SFF, but it's an interesting thing that. That might be the reason. The pandemic might be the reason. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's super interesting. And also, this other note here is that um, comics and graphic novels were up 113% industry-wide. And, like, 20 million copies of manga titles sold this year, which is more than double any previous full year on record. Like, that's... That's wild. That's so interesting to me for so many reasons. I think a lot of it has to do with, like, you know, we're talking about Star Wars and Marvel and, like, there's so many. We're just, there's a bonanza of things being adapted right now. I mean, mm-hmm. just think about, like, things we talked like, Why the Last Man is on Netflix right now. Um, what's the other one that I was thinking about? Anyway, there's a bunch of graphic novel properties that have been adapted uh, not just the obvious you know comic book stuff and so that's super oh the Jeff Lemire sweet tooth like there's just a ton of yeah. stuff right now that's that's getting adapted uh, and it's it's just it's super interesting to think about yeah I mean obviously I think escapism is part of it but I also think you know like we we're just talking about with Charlie Jane Anders like Speculative fiction can help us process the things that we're trying to escape from also. Like, it's it's yeah. safer in certain ways to process it when it's set in a world far, far away or one that's, like, very different from ours. But even though even then, you know, you're struggling with a lot of the same things. It's just represented differently. And that, I think, can feel like a safe way to start dealing with some of what we're struggling to deal with. So 
makes perfect sense to me. <laughs> and it's, but it's yeah. nice to see the numbers. It's nice to see the numbers. That's a really great point. I think that you hit the nail on the head because that's certainly one of the reasons I read SFF. Right. So, yeah, I'm glad to see it. I hope people continue to enjoy SFF. And there are so many great books that are coming out from so many mm-hmm. different people who have so many different perspectives and backgrounds. And I just want everybody to read the genre, obviously. Obviously, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> well, <laughs> my next news story is that I'll do I'll do it briefly because there's not like a ton of there there currently. It's just an interesting announcement. Um, we wrote about this on Book Riot. Wattpad is partnering with Viacom CBS to adapt fiction from the platform for Paramount Plus. So this is like kind of weird and interesting because, you know, Wattpad, it's got a lot of fan fiction on it as well as original stories. And we've, I think, seen a lot of things come from fan fiction or these other uh, writing platforms that allow writers to get their works out there, like a bunch of stuff that was previously self-published or published only on something like Wattpad has been recently picked up by big publishers, you know, and... um, so, and this is not surprising news. Like, apparently, I didn't realize this, but both The Kissing Booth and After, which are Netflix shows, started as Wattpad stories. And After was One Direction fan fiction. It's fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and so, and so it sounds like what Viacom CBS is going to do is like team up with Wattpad. They're going to like analyze all their, they have tons of data about what people are writing about and reading about. And they're going to use that plus the actual fiction that's on the platform to, like, make stuff. So the the IP, like, the intellectual property stuff is the stuff that I, that there are very few details on right now. That's actually what I'm mostly interested in because, you know, fan fiction is, like, a weird gray area. Some people are super not on board with it and have sued over it. Like, some creators super not on board have yeah. sued over it. It's unclear who, oh, like... Is it Creative Commons? Like, how is it covered? And then also, if yeah, if you're, like, gonna use it to then make something else, who's getting paid for what here? And who owns the rights to what? Because the terms of service on Wattpad are, like, not 100% clear on that. Like, it, there, it's in certain cases, it looks like Wattpad actually owns your stuff. So... It's very confusing to me, and I think it's going to be confusing for other folks as well, and I'm very interested in seeing how this plays out. So here's something I learned literally a minute before (laughs) we started recording. I actually got an email from a representative at Wattpad clarifying some things. So we're going to be updating this piece. So apparently... Um, first of all, all of the writers on Wattpad, according to this statement from a Wattpad rep, all of the writers on Wattpad maintain ownership of their content when it's uploaded to the platform and any writer we work with to adapt their work is compensated. That's what they say. Okay. Um, and then I guess they also state that the partnership is to develop original fiction Mm. and fan fiction is not part of this deal. Mm. So that's interesting. I was was trying to respond to the email right before we got on this (laughs) recording and I realized, oh, we're going to be talking about this in today's show. So, yeah, it's still like it's still really interesting. I am very curious to see what they pull from Wattpad, what yeah. types of stories. Yes. But yeah, I have seen so many conversations about this in the past day mm-hmm. about how, well, like, what is this going to look like for authors? What are the details? Yeah. And I assume we're going to be hearing a lot more about this, possibly in response to all of the conversations that are happening. Maybe we'll get some more details. Yeah. Um, well, so that means this. that by the time you're listening to this, our piece that we're linking to in the show notes should be up to date. So keep an eye there yes. for further developments. Super interesting. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, wait, one last shout out before we move on. I just want to let y'all know that I'm going to leave a link to this fascinating dive into Nintendo's early days from Kotaku. Um it's a really interesting interview from the designer of the NES, uh, Masayuki Uemura. And I like, I just, as a kid who grew up playing, you know, Atari and Donkey Kong and, you know, Super Mario Brothers, like this, this was really just a fascinating, interesting piece to read. Uh, and that is um, reported on by Matt Alt. And yeah, there will be a link in the show. It's actually kind of old, but I just hadn't come across it before. And so I think y'all with similar nostalgia feelings might find it interesting as well. Shout out to Paper Mario. Yes. Oh, Paper Mario. (laughs) I'm a Tetris girl first and foremost forever. Like Tetris is my is my number one, but Mario properties are up there too. Yeah, I love Tetris. That's a really good story. Thanks for shouting (laughs) it out. Well, I'm gonna talk about our next sponsor before we talk about our year-end favorites. And our sponsor is Penguin Young Readers, bringing us Sky Beyond the Storm by Sabah Tahir. Very exciting. Now in paperback, prepare for the jaw-dropping finale of Sabah Tahir's beloved New York Times best-selling An Ember in the Ashes fantasy series picking up just a few months after a reaper at the gates left off. The long-imprisoned jinn are on the attack, wreaking bloody havoc, but for the Nightbringer, vengeance on his human foes is just the beginning. By his side, Commandant Karis Vittoria declares herself empress and calls for the heads of any and all who defy her rule. Laia of Sarah, now allied with the Blood Shrikes, throws herself into the destruction of the Nightbringer. In the process, she awakens an ancient power that could lead her to victory or to an unimaginable doom. So anybody who loves paperback versions of books, this is your time. This is a great series. I love Ember in the Ashes. And Sabah Tahir has such an amazing imagination and is such a wonderful storyteller and they actually gave us some information about her her background and her life growing up I, that I thought was really interesting. So she grew up in the Mojave Desert at her family's 18-room motel and, of course, devoured fantasy novels while growing up and read a lot of comic books and started writing books while working nights as a newspaper editor. That part I actually knew that mm. I found really fascinating. So what to hear is just amazing. The series is amazing. So if you've been waiting for the paperback format of the finale to this fantastic series, you should definitely check it out. And you can find Saba online at sabatahir.com and follow her on Instagram at sabatahir. Nice. Yeah. All right. All right. Are you ready to talk about your year-end pick? I am ready. I am going to start off with my sci-fi pick, which y'all will perhaps not be surprised to hear is by Tade Thompson, (laughs) much beloved of the SFFIA podcast. And this new one is Far From the Light of Heaven. This is a really interesting book, especially if you've read the Rosewater books, because it is so different. I was like, oh, it's Tade Thompson. Like, I'm going to prepare myself, right? It's like, yeah, it's going to be weird. It's probably going to be gross. Like, I have to, you know, be ready here. And it is weird and gross. But it's what's interesting about this book is that it's actually a really slow climb to the real heights of what Thompson is capable of in terms of weird grossness. So, like, it's in there, (laughs) but it takes a while to get there. And that ramp-up is also, like, a stress ramp-up over the events that are unfolding. So, like, it starts off like, oh, okay, like, things aren't, like, going great right now. And then you're like, oh, my God, like, with every successive thing that happens, the stakes get higher, everything gets weirder, everything gets more dangerous. Like, it is 
a really intense <laughs> ride that starts off in a way that like you're not prepared for how intense it's going to get. So I'm just telling you right now, like <laughs> it's deceptive and in a really great way. Like it's super great. Uh, it is about a ship, the Ragtime. Which is a colony ship. It's like bringing, you know, people who are in suspended animation, cryo sleep, whatever, to a new planet. And the ship, because there's not like instantaneous travel in this future, uh, the ship has to like make its way between touch points. And so, you know, it's uh, it's docked currently in the Lagos system. Um, but things start going wrong. The pilot, who is really just like, a sort of honorary figure because everything is run by a ship AI um, gets woken up to discover that like passengers are dead. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. And it is super messed up. And she shell is an amazing character because she knows that she's just like a glorified whatever on this. The only reason she took this job is because she needs to like get a foothold in the industry. She got trained as an astronaut, but there's just not that many opportunities. So like she's going to get paid a lot and have some experience and then hopefully we'll be able to get better jobs down the line. So she's like, not expecting any of what happens to actually go wrong. And there's a few other characters that make their way onto the screens. I love the different perspectives that we get throughout this. But, I mean, my heart belongs to Shell. She is an amazing main character. There's, like, all kinds of really weird technology and like fungus as you would expect and (laughs) creatures and just like I don't even know y'all like this is it's like a locked spaceship murder mystery but also very much an interesting vision of like what the future looks like of humans in space and also Thompson wrote in the acknowledgments like he did a ton of research about like really, what is it like to be an astronaut? Like, what's the mundane stuff that can go really wrong that you have to be worried about that aren't the things that we're used to hearing about? And the way that he incorporates those is, I think, genius. It's so good. It's so good. Like, it might be my favorite Todd A. Thompson that I've read. So Wow. I know. It's, it's a lot of, I'm heaping a lot of praise upon this, but I think it can, I think it stands up under it. Um, I will give content warnings for, this is an Afrofuturist vision in, in ways that are going to be immediately obvious to you as you start reading it. Um, and that does, there's still prejudice in the future. So content warning for uh, use of racial slurs, including the N-word by a secondary character. Um, but it is like a full-featured, you know, black cast who are doing the things and solving the murders and like trying to put things right. And it's amazing. So again, that's Far From the Light of Heaven by Tade Thompson. I had to pack up all of my books and I had to choose, like, just a very few to keep out of the boxes. Mm. And I kept this one out yes! because I knew I had to read it. <laughs> it oh, sounds so good. I can't That's wait for you to exciting. read it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to – this is my holiday read. I yes. cannot wait. Well, I'm going to talk about my sci-fi pick. And I think this might be at least in the top three favorite reads of the year mm. for me. Yeah, I'm so glad I got to this one. It's Iron Widow by Siran J. Chow. And I actually got into the audiobook, which is read by Rong Fu. It is so good. If you love audiobooks, I highly recommend listening to the audiobook. It's amazing. So I love a vengeance story, as many of you may know by now. And this is like the revenge story of revenge stories. (laughs) So it's so good. It's so passionate. Uh, It follows Jutian, who is basically living to revenge her sister. Her big sister died a concubine. And I know that word elicits all sorts of ideas about what that might look like. This is a very... It's a very familiar but also very different concubine system we're looking at here. So the story is set in this futuristic world 
that is ruled by the elders and the gods. And this is a world where women are oppressed and barred from all sorts of things, including intellectual pursuits. They can't even touch certain technological devices. They are taught to be obedient and to live and die for their fathers, brothers, and all men. And this is a world where basically all odds are against Jitian and her rebellious, daring, vengeful streak. Jitian's family truly treats her like a bargaining chip. She does not have a good family life. They are willing to trade her in for the benefit of her brother's future. You know, her grandmother bound her feet to bring up her value. So she has to use a cane or a wheelchair to move throughout the story. And this is also a world that's constantly under attack by these creatures called Huynwins, who are these inscrutable, non-human antagonizers bent on destroying humans and their civilization. And in this world, C powers chrysalises that are driven by a man pilot and a woman concubine. And the chrysalis can be transformed into these more powerful forms with a with l- large quantities of C and a strong partnership between the pilot and the concubine. And I'm sure this is like the chrysalis idea and its transformations are eliciting... Uh, parallels to other uh, pop cultural mm-hmm. shows and things like this book was compared to Pacific Rim. Mm. And I think that that part of it, the chrysalis aspect is certainly true of that comparison. So strong spirit pressure is used to rank and pair pilots and concubines. And the stronger the spirit pressure, the stronger the chrysalis team, if they also work well together as partners, which for a woman in this world involves great and more often than not self-sacrifice. And there are all sorts of other aspects that are so fantastic and so intrinsic to this world building about how the chrysalises work, how this really unbalanced, unfair partnership of pilot and concubine works and what that means to Jitian's story and why she is so angry at this world. I mean, I'm sure you can imagine why she's so angry (laughs) at this world that will just not let women live their lives without having to always put men first and to sacrifice themselves for civilization and a civilization that is very much patriarchal and very oppressive. Um, So in Jutian's story, she has these relationships that are very crucial to her success, and they're very fraught relationships. They are all sorts of complicated. So we see... Two additional characters, Ija, who's her closest friend, who's this total pretty boy from this really wealthy, powerful family. Uh, And her relationship with Ija is so dangerous because he is rich and she is not supposed to be hanging out with him. She is not supposed to be close to him in any way. So that friendship is very dangerous to her entire well-being. And then... We've got the Iron Demon, who's this really fascinating character, Li Shiming, who is imprisoned for murder and now powers a chrysalis and is part of the very system as a pilot that got Jiqian's sister and so many other women killed. So the relationships are complicated, the violence is high, and <laughs> Jiqian is just like ready to raise it all to the ground. And I loved this book so much. I loved the passion and emotion behind the story. I was hooked by the world building, which was so expansive and so thoughtful. And the pacing was amazing. There were these action-packed chrysalis versus win-win battles. And there was just the whole burning down the patriarchy of it all. (laughs) There's also gender fluidity discussion queer rep and a polyamorous relationship that I thought was fantastic. 
And Jetian is so deliciously ruthless, but the struggle she faces to check her own assumptions about the world and the people she blames for certain things that happen in the story was really interesting to witness. There was a lot of like there was a lot of complicated stuff and a lot of layers that were addressed in the story and in the telling of Jitian's development that I thought was just very smartly done. Hmm. This book also comes with a lot of content warnings. Um, there is mention of sexual assault. There are no on-page depictions, but the sexual assault mentions are there. There's suicidal ideation, physical and emotional abuse, alcohol addiction, and torture. And speaking of authors talking about the background of their story, uh, Zhao at the top of the book does mention that this is not historical fantasy or alternate history. This is a futuristic story that's inspired by cultural elements across Chinese history. And Zhao is especially there. She, they obviously have like expertise in Chinese history. They have a whole YouTube channel, which mm. is super delightful and you have to check it out. And it features conversations about Chinese history. But the story does have historical figures reimagined. So there's basically lots of creative liberties that were taken. And I thought it was really well done and a fantastic example of world building. And just one of my favorite characters I've read this year in Chichen. So again, that was Iron Widow by Siren J. Zhao. I've heard so much love for that book. I really need to bump it up on my stack. Oh, it's so, so good. <laughs> so immersive. Nice, nice. Well, along more cozy lines, my fantasy pick is Payback's a Witch, which is a great title, by Lana Harper. This is the first in a new fantasy romance series called The Witches of Thistle Grove. I can, like, hear Sharifa's ears, like, perking up. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I was I immediately googled it. Uh-huh. I know you. I know you. This is great. <laughs> it is so much fun. It is a sapphic love story that also takes place in this town that is like think like magical stars hollow of the Gilmore Girls. Like, it is, like, you know, New Englandy, like, fall vibes, but, like, everything's magic. And they, is what's so interesting about this town is that when it was founded, it was founded by four witch families, and they continue to, like, you know, stay there. And if they leave, if you leave, your magic kind of goes away. Like, the magic is specific to this location. So a lot of people never leave. Our main character, Emmy Harlow, has left. She's part of this family that's like not particularly powerful. You know, they own the bookstore. They're like kind of keep your heads down, like that kind of thing. And she felt really stifled by all of the weight of history and like expectations and sort of like the... Um, the stereotyping of how you're supposed to be if you're from one particular family versus another. And she also had a very bad, upsetting relationship as a teenager with this guy from this much more privileged family. And so she, like, felt really worthless and wrecked. And so she's left. She's made her own life in Chicago, like, pretending to be a normal. Uh, but she gets called mm -hmm. back home for this big spellcasting tournament um, because she is technically the oldest of the correct generation in her family too. She's supposed to like be the arbiter for this big, big magical contest that has uh, a lot of payoffs for whoever wins. And she gets back and she ends up teaming up with two women from other families to take down the jerkwad who was so awful to her all of those years ago. They all have a score to settle with him. And this is so much fun. Like it's so satisfying. It's so atmospheric. I loved watching Emmy's like personal journey. I loved the supporting characters. I'm obsessed with them. Like cannot wait for the next book. Like really need 
I will just like I this is going to be one of my chicken soup books, I think, because it was it was just like the like mental warm bath that also had like a little bit of like edge to it in in exactly the way that I wanted. So um, if that is a vibe that you need, like, let me recommend (laughs) Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper. I don't know what rock I've been living under <laughs> that I missed that one. I cannot believe it. It sounds so perfect. I think it got more <laughs> buzz in the romance circles than in the fantasy circles, which I guess makes oh. sense. But it really is like a strong fantasy novel, I think. It does both things equally well. So but that's I think that's my best guess as to why you would have missed it before now. Well, thank you for bringing it <laughs> You're <tonight>. welcome. <laughs> Well, my last pick, I'm just realizing that the unifying theme of my two picks is patriarchy. (laughs) That was by accident, but here we are. (laughs) So I read Comfort Me with Apples by Catherine M. Valente, who we've talked about multiple times on this show and is a very interesting to me writer. So this is about the patriarchy, but it is not a vengeance story. It's actually described as a fairy tale. And I would, I really have to like stop myself from being more specific, but I'm going to leave it at that. It's a very short read. Uh, And on that note, I really, if you do not like spoilers, I really, really do not recommend looking this book up Mm. in any way other than like, blindly clicking the borrow (laughs) or buy button, which I know sounds ridiculous, but I, in the the matter of a few seconds, spoiled it for myself. Oh, no. It's okay because I'm not too bothered by Mm. spoilers, but I, I knew what was going on from the beginning. So, but this book really serves that under the skin creepiness, I mm. guess. It's it's a sort of Stepford Wives nightmare of domesticity. And it follows Sophia, who is a wife first and only. So she caters to her husband's every need. And she moves through the world with only his reputation and happiness in mind. Everything she does, she does for him. And... Sophia and her husband live in a place called Arcadia Gardens, which is this town that truly exemplifies my dislike of homeowners associations, (laughs) which sounds super weird. (laughs) No, that's great. (laughs) But I was like, this is why. This is why. (laughs) And each chapter... Each chapter is interspersed so that we get chapters that are narrated in first person from Sophia's point of view. And then we have chapters in between those that are basically readings of the rules of Arcadia Gardens. Like what colors you can paint your house and what you can do with your lawn, where you're allowed to hang out and that you are not allowed to loiter, all of that stuff. Mm. And there are so many rules, and they are so side-eye-inducing. They get increasingly so as you get through the book. And then we have Sophia, who has, you know, her cluster of close friends. But everyone in this gated community just seems to love her so much. And she just accepts this. She thinks her life is perfect. She lives in this big house where everything is just so, and... She believes her husband loves her so much. But then she, of course, starts to notice small things that are out of place. And these are things that bring the novelty of doubt into her mind about everything she's taken as fact and all of the things she's never questioned. And a strange visitor arrives to kind of further disrupt her smooth, serene life. So the introduction of certain clues changes Sophia and makes her react in ways she never has. And they make her fear that something is not quite right. But she senses also that getting to the bottom of things and answering these questions that won't go away will have irreversible consequences. So if you've read 
Catherine Valente before, you know that she gets experimental. <laughs> and I would say... <laughs> I would say uh, that this is one of her more low-key experimental mm. works. It's also one of her shorter works at a little over 100 pages. I listened to the audiobook for this one, too, and I believe it was just a little over two hours. So it's really quick. But I wanted to mention that because if you're hesitant with experimental formats mm. and experimental prose, I think you'll honestly be just fine with this story. And it flew by. But I, I really quickly connected to the character, not because I relate to Sophia, thank goodness. <laughs> I want to make that clear. <laughs> but because Valente does a great job of putting you into Sophia's head and showing, showing you this world through Sophia's very rose-tinted eyes. And I just thought the descriptions really brought Arcadia Gardens and all its residents to life. So if you're looking for a one-sitting read that has that sort of unsettling psychological thriller feel, but with the speculative element as well, I would really recommend this. It also comes with a content warning for domestic violence, so do note that. So again, that was Comfort Me with Apples by Catherine M. Valente. And those are our favorites. Those are our favorites. Wow. That was a fantastic 2021. Thank you all yeah. for joining us as we read our way through the year. It was <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> SFF Yeah is sound edited by Natalie Baker. Many thanks to her for making us sound great each and every episode. For more recommendations, you can check out bookriot.com and find our other podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen. And thank you again for listening. You can email us your ideas about some topics you'd like to hear us talk about in 2022 and more at SFF Yeah at bookriot.com. And if you have a moment, uh, you can gift us a review on mm. Apple Podcasts. We love to hear from you. It also helps people find us. You can find us online. Where can they find you, Jen? I am on Twitter and Tumblr as Jen IRL, J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at S Zainab Williams. That's S C A I. S-C-A-I-N-A-V Williams. <laughs> this is my year-end brain talking. Yeah. And we'll talk to you again in 2022. 